Hey now, it's the 21st of April 2017 and this is the Room Now We Can Review. I'm Dr. Jack Cush, Executive Editor of RoomNow.com with a lot of interesting news. At the top of the news, highlights include diet could affect the outcome of osteoarthritis. Specifically, is junk food bad for your cartilage? Um, a new um, and surprising news from the FDA about uh, stoppage in the development of a new JAK inhibitor that was due to arrive on the market. Uh, and lastly, osteoarthritis and falling, what's up with that? Um, so a lot of good news this week on the website. You should go there and check it out. Um, we had a report about uh, the results of the Norfolk registry. This is a prospective registry done in the UK that had a large number of patients follow from the inception of their disease. And specifically, what they did was look at long-term follow-up of patients seen 20 years ago and divided the patients up who came in for early RA, and I mean these are patients with very little, very short disease durations, and divided them up into those who received early disease modifying therapy treatment or early therapy, less than six months of, of disease history, or those who received late DMAR therapy, which is more than six months and usually a lot more than six months, and those who received no treatment. Uh, when you looked at the data, those who received no treatment were those who didn't have rheumatoid arthritis and actually had the best survival outcomes 20 years later. But when they looked at those who got early treatment versus those who got late treatment, there was better survival in those who had early DMARD initiation. Again, sort of evidence that may speak to the fact that there really is a window of opportunity in patients with rheumatoid arthritis now being shown with better long-term survival. So I think that's important news. A review of, of, of patients with acute gout in the emergency room and looking at the utility of ultrasound shows that the three cardinal findings seen on ultrasound for gout have actually a fairly good specificity and a reasonably good sensitivity. The double contour sign is seen in 42% of patients with a specificity of 92%. The intra-articular aggregate sign is seen in almost 60% of patients with a 92% specificity and the identification of TOFI, obviously less common, was seen in 40% and it was 100% specific. Good news for those of you who love to run around with your, your probes and ultrasound patients. Um, a very interesting report from the scientific literature looking at animal models of osteoarthritis. They compared animals who were treated with high fat, high carbohydrate, basically a junk diet to those who actually received a more healthy diet, a standard diet. Uh, and they showed that it promotes um, a far greater degree of cartilage uh, degeneration and damage, and all of that being a prelude to worse osteoarthritis. Of course, it's a rat model, um, and does it actually equate to what may go on in humans? Um, but it, it stands to reason that that might be further proof that diet may work in, a multiple, in multiple disorders, including in osteoarthritis. I don't know about you, but I have a problem sometimes in, an, in analyzing lymphopenia in patients with lupus. Is it due to their disease and is their disease getting worse? Or is it due to the drugs that you're using, mycophenolate, azathioprine, et cetera, uh, and that you're co effectively controlling their disease? Obviously, lymphopenia is just one thing you look at when analyzing patients for activity versus toxicity. Another tool you should think about looking at is the neutrophil to lymphocyte ratio, NLR. It's being, we wrote about it on the website for a number of things, including inflammation in general, but in lupus specifically, Patients with a high NLR, meaning a, a ratio that's greater than two or greater than three, indicates disease activity more so than drug toxicity. This came up recently. I had a patient 
who, when she was doing very badly, had an NLR of about 2.8. Um, and then when I looked at her recently and she's on azathioprine and, and, and high doses and, and, and seems to be getting better. In fact, her lymphocyte count was, I think it was 800, and her neutrophil count, absolute neutrophil count, was more like 1800, suggesting now she dropped below 1 on her NLR, and this indicated drug effect and better lupus control. There may be some good utility to the, looking at the NLR, especially in lupus patients. Corona looked at its psoriatic arthritis patients, specifically about 1600 psoriatic arthritis patients, and looked at the um, uh, those who had dactylitis and enthesitis, and those who did have those extra articular manifestations, periarticular manifestations, were actually inclined to have more disease activity, higher pain scores, more fatigue, um, a, a lower uh, attendance at work, and overall worse hack scores, suggesting that uh, when this uh, particular finding is present, you're probably dealing with a more severe uh, and worse outcome group in those who have psoriatic arthritis. There's something called the Osteoarthritis Initiative. It looked at 4,367 patients. And when they analyzed their, their patients, 15% had, had falls, uh, recurrent falls specifically, and that there was a high rate of association with opioid and antidepressant use in those patients. I have a theory that falls are not, all, not always neurologic manifestations, but may, may very well be related to pain um, and independent of osteo uh, opioid use. But this suggests certainly opioid use along with pain, may be contributory factors for falls in osteoarthritis patients. Um, news from Maine, not necessarily good news, is that Lyme disease is on the rise. 2016 was a banner year, a record year for Maine, with a total of 1,464 cases. This was up by 21% from 2015. Uh, and actually, it was a little bit lower in 2016. Um, but the idea is it seems to be increasing in Maine. Explanations for that are not entirely clear. It has something to do with, I believe, we believe with environmental conditions. But um, Maine is one of those states where Lyme disease is a reality. Um, when they actually looked at this uh, county by county, uh, Penobscot County was actually the most uh, increase in the last year, um, more than actually seven times the amount um, compared to the year before. Um, I know I don't know if you're interested in this, but I am. You know the monies that are run, that are seen in um, the therapeutic areas we deal with, uh, you know, for instance, TNF inhibitors is probably a 25 to 26 billion dollar market. Um, but um, there was a report this week about how Pfizer has made its 52.8 billion dollars in 2016. And if I ask you which was the leading um, candidates for profits and and, and sales, um, it wouldn't be Zelljance, uh, which is actually doing good and on the rise, uh, and, and it wouldn't be Lyrica, which is actually at the top. The most um, uh, profitable agent that uh, Pfizer makes turns out to be Prevnar, uh, making a total of five points, uh, that's, that's Prevnar 13, that is, making a total of $5.7 billion a year in 2016. Uh, a study from Norway looked at patients who had self-reported rheumatoid arthritis and ankylosing spondylitis and showed, when looking, examining hospital records, doctor records, that patient reports of that, and of course they get that from, probably from their doctors, Maybe they've self-diagnosed themselves, but many of these are from their other doctors. But self-reported RA and AS is only right about less than 20% of the time, 19% in rheumatoid arthritis and 16% in ankylosing spondylitis, um, leading me to suggest I might want to question some of that data about self-reported arthritis and some of the things that we glean from such data. 
The big news, I think, of the week was the delay in the baricitinib decision. That was uh, reported by the FDA. The FDA was to have a decision date on baricitinib in 2016, January. That was the PDUFA date. That was pushed back for three months. Uh, they needed more time to analyze more data. And then um, in April, this last week, they issued what was called a complete response letter, which further delays the development and the approval of this particular drug. There are a lot of reports out there that say the drug is denied, rejected, turned down. That's not true. A complete response letter basically means there's not enough evidence in possession of the FDA to make a decision about the approval or denial of this drug. Hence, along with the complete response letter comes the request for, for more data, more safety information, etc. Again, this at least pushes, pushes things back at least three months, if not six months, for baricitinib. But really, we're not going to know until the FDA and the makers of baricitinib meet and negotiate what is needed to um, uh, satisfy the needs of the Food and Drug Administration. Um, an interesting report about from the New York Times this past week about the cost of not taking medicine. That, of course, is the problem of non-adherence. Um, many studies show that between 20 and 50% of patients who take a prescription never fill the prescription. Uh, a, 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 a Consumer Reports study, I always quote, said that 50% of patients didn't fill their prescription. And this is not rheumatology, it's all primary care in general. But um, those who have chronic conditions, um, it's also shown that um, about 50% of patients are non-compliant with how they're supposed to take the medicine they may have filled. Um, the Annals of Internal Medicine has uh, estimated in a recent report that non-adherence has cost our society 125,000 deaths, accounts for at least 10% of the hospitalizations, and may cost the U.S. healthcare system between 100 and 300 um, billion dollars a year. So it's really a big issue. It's not just us kid kidney transplant patients. Only a third of their patients take their rejection medicines. Can you imagine that? And patients who have heart attacks, only 41% of their patients, um, actually 41% don't take the medicines they're supposed to take for their blood pressure. So again, this is a big issue. We need to work at this. It's surprising we're doing as good as we're doing. Um, a new IL-12, uh, a new IL-23 inhibitor has been tested in Crohn's disease. This is uh, Rizankizumab. It's a, 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 a monoclonal antibody against interleukin-23. You may remember from the ACR, there are reports of Gaselkamab from Janssen, another uh, IL-23 inhibitor. That sounds like a fax coming in. Hmm, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, um, this has been studied in Crohn's disease and proven to be effective uh, at a significant level. A large study, um, when I look at the results and you know the outcomes there are not known to rheumatologists, they're not that impressive when they look at the, their version of the CDI, which is a patient-reported outcome. Um, they, they were good, but they weren't, weren't uh, wonderful. The problem, of course, is this particular study that's being quoted is a study of patients who had already received TNF inhibitors and were failing on TNF inhibitors. So that always changes the data and sort of minimizes the effect. But IL-23 inhibitors are in development uh, in rheumatology, in GI, and certainly in, in psoriatic disease. And lastly, we end this week with a report about paradoxical toxicities in patients taking TNF inhibitors. I mean, what's up with that? You give a drug for the condition, for conditions it's indicated for, and it causes that condition. How is that possible? Well, we've seen this. We've seen patients on TNF inhibitors develop psoriasis and other uh, in demyelinating diseases, which were actually one of the original studies was to test TNF inhibitors in demyelinating disease. 
Well, there's new reports out in the literature that also take this a little further. We talked about psoriatic arthritis in a, pre, pre, in a prior issue where the incidence of um, TNF inhibitor-induced psoriatic arthritis, about 1 in 1,000 um, that has been uh, described in all the TNF inhibitors, actually most of them occurring in patients on infliximab, more so than the other ones, but there could be a little bias in that reporting. Um, the vast majority of patients had plaque, but a lot of patients had palmo, uh, palmo pustular disease, um, and, and it turns out that your, the manifestations will get better almost 100% of the time when you stop the drug. The question is, what will happen if you switch TNF inhibitors? Uh, um, again, probably about half of them uh, improving. And then if you continue the TNF inhibitor, um, again, a selection bias here as to who improved or who continued on the drug, about half of them improved and 33% resolved. So psoriasis TNF inhibitors we seem to see in rheumatology. But have you seen patients with inflammatory bowel disease? The Journal of Rheumatology this past, uh, this month, has three reports of etanercept-induced, uh, endoscopically proven, histologically proven inflammatory bowel disease. They presented three cases of etanercept-treated patients who, after they developed inflammatory bowel disease, had the drug discontinued, no more etanercept. They went on adalimumab, and they all got better. Quite surprising. They did a review of the literature and found in, uh, over 53 patients, 53 patients, uh, with etanercept-induced uh, IBD. Um, the average age was, this was mostly, mostly a, a pediatric condition. Um, 17 years of age. Most of them had been treated for over two years. 27 months was the mean disease duration, and all of them improved with etanercept discontinuation. But it's not exclusive to kids. It's been described in adults. A French report also looked at 16 patients, um, and these were all adults, average age 41 years. Again, they were on the drug for more than two years on average. Um, most of these were treated with etanercept, but a few were treated with infliximab. And again, the same uh, scheme was seen that um, they have inflammatory bowel disease. They either have classic Crohn's or ulcerative colitis or some kind of indeterminate colitis. All of them improve histologically and clinically with succession of the TNF inhibitor or switch. Um, and then lastly, sarcoidosis. Sarcoidosis is a, a, not a, a common condition, but there you know, maybe are a dozen reports in the literature of sarcoidosis arising in patients receiving TNF inhibitors. This is surprising because sarcoidosis is sometimes a, a treated with TNF inhibitors, especially for ocular disease. But nonetheless, these patients were all older, generally between 50 and 70 years of age, had been on a TNF inhibitor for one to two years, and almost all the cases were, in fact, on etanercept. Um, and uh, they developed hyalur adenopathy, mediastinal adenopathy, uh, peripheral adenopathy, pulmonary nodules, fever, et cetera. And guess what? Stop the TNF inhibitor, and it goes away. So um, now why this happens is not known. As you know, the, the, the drug, these drugs also cause drug-induced lupus. These drugs also may worsen demyelinating disease. A recent review looked at the psoriatic populations, over 6,000 patients with psoriasis who were treated with TNF inhibitors. And in fact, it's very, very rare to find this. When they did a, an FOI, a Freedom of Information Retrieval of FDA records and MedWatch reports, they found that amongst thousands and thousands, over 10,000 patients treated with either etanercept, infliximab, or adalimumab, a few cases of uh, demyelinating disease. So, in spite of the warning that this can happen, it's probably a very rare event, but it does develop. It is, they do develop MS-like disease or optic neuritis, and, um, and the question is why. We don't know for all these conditions what the etiology is. The most common postulate is that this is due to um, the generation of alpha interferon. That inhibition of TNF will give rise to a rebound in IL-10 and alpha interferon. That may drive B-cell activity 
in those who are predisposed to develop a condition that looks like MS, psoriasis, um, sarcoidosis, or even IBD. That's it for this week at RoomNow.com. Be sure to go to the website um, to look at these citations and to register. Uh, we'll see you next week. Have a great weekend.